morning, Life Church Buffalo. How is my 11 o'clock crowd feeling this morning? Not too bad, not too shabby. All right, I asked that to the first crowd, and I could tell that three-quarters of them were still asleep. So it's great to see all of you here today. If you're new with us, if it's your first time at Life Church Buffalo, my name is Pete. I have the privilege and honor of being the co-pastor here, and I'm honored that you've decided to spend some of your Sunday morning here with us as you are joining us on week three of a series we began a couple weeks ago called Set the Table. What is the idea behind this series? Why would I want to do a series called Set the Table? Well, what we're trying to accomplish through this series is to take an honest look at what the church is. Why do you come to church? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do I come to church? Some people might answer that question by saying, well, it's tradition for me. You know, I grew up in a family where my parents always took me to church, and now that I'm grown and have a family, I want my kids to grow up and attend church. Maybe some of you would say, I attend for the fellowship. It's the only time of the week where I get to really be around other people that share the same values that I do and the same beliefs, and I really enjoy the friendships with people that I have at church. Or maybe you come because you want to worship God, and this is, this is the place to do it. This is where you come. This is where you get filled up. Maybe you come because this is the place where you get to hear the greatest sermons from the greatest preacher on the face of the planet. No? All right. Nothing like a little bit of coaxing to make this preacher feel good anyway. I don't know. Maybe you've never thought much about why you come to church. It's just what you do. But that's what this series, Set the Table, is all about. We're taking four weeks to kind of unpack this idea of what and why the church exists. Why do we come? What's it for? And in week one, we kind of rolled, it, rolled out this idea that the church is kind of like a table, much in the same way that your family gathers around a table to have important conversations and to share a meal. The church is kind of like a spiritual family that gathers each week around the table to have important conversations, right? We talk about life and God and questions and family issues and fear and joy. We have important conversations. We also share a meal together. Maybe not a physical meal, but a spiritual one, right? We learn that the Bible is God's word. That's what we consume and take in so that we can grow up in our faith, right? But we don't want to just be any table, right? Because there are different types of tables. And we said in week one that we don't want to be like a spiritual buffet for Christians, right? Where we present a myriad of options on the table and we become so consumed with everything that happens at the church that we just wind up sitting down and consuming and spending all of our times with all of the different activities that the church offers while we forget and ignore the world around us that's spiritually starving to death. So instead, what did we say? If we're not going to be a buffet for Christians, we want to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, serving up the greatest meal in town, right? And so we learned that at this five-star restaurant, our role as Christ followers is to help set the table for people that are far from God, people that may not know Jesus yet. So that was week one. The church is like a table. And week two, last week, we learned that if the church is like a table and we're serving up the greatest meal in town, which is Jesus, what did Jesus say we are if we're followers of Christ? We are the salt of the earth, remember? And if salt is used to enhance the flavor of whatever it is we're eating, I said it this way. You could say that we are the flavor of the Savior, right? Jesus is the main course. We're the flavor of the Savior. And we don't want to be too salty, right? Because we don't want to turn people off to the gospel or to church by, you know, exposing them to too many overly salty Christians where we're just all about our rules and all about our religion and all about our judgment and condemnation. 
We don't want to be overly salty. But neither do we want to be so bland that there's no difference between when people, you know, encounter us and taste our lives versus when they encounter people that don't claim to follow Jesus. When people experience us, they should taste Jesus and it should make them hungry for more. So that was last week. We're the flavor of the Savior. This week, what I want to do is share a little bit more of my heart with you guys and talk about who should be seated at the table of the church. Who should be sitting around this table? And to do that, I kind of want to go back to the beginning, back to when Jesus first started this whole thing off. You know, after he was crucified, buried, and resurrected, but before he ascended back to heaven to return to his father, he appeared to his followers and told them to go to Jerusalem. He said, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit that my Father is going to send you. And it was in Jerusalem that the church that you and I are part of to this day began. This is where this whole thing got started was in Jerusalem. That was kind of the epicenter of the Jewish faith at the time. And Jesus sends them to Jerusalem with a mission, with a purpose, okay? And he says this to his disciples. I shared this verse with you last week from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to share it with you again. He says this. He says, go to Jerusalem in verse 8, and there you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we see here is that Jesus is laying out a strategic growth plan for the church. You know, the church started out small, and Jesus is saying, you're going to start in Jerusalem, because by the way, at this point, there were about 120 people left that were still following Jesus. There were crowds and thousands of people that were following him while he was still alive because they wanted to see all the miracles and hear what he was going to say next. But once he was crucified, the crowds kind of scattered. They didn't want to, you know, come under persecution or, you know, be arrested by the Romans either. And so they kind of all scattered. And there was a faithful core of 120 committed followers that still, you know, wanted to follow Jesus. He says, you guys are going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to start small, but you're going to grow into Judea, which was the region that Jerusalem was in. And then you're going to go out some more and expand out further into the outskirts where Samaria is. And eventually you're going to grow to the ends of the earth. Did you know that Jesus has a plan for the church to grow? And he tells them, so I want you to go to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they did. They went to Jerusalem. And you know what happened when they got there? The church began to grow. And it grew really rapidly. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 2, if you're not familiar with church or maybe you're new to following Jesus and you don't know the story of how the church got started, I want to encapsulate some of the events of Acts chapter 2 for you. It says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled the room where they were gathered. There was a sound like a violent rushing wind. I can imagine maybe it sounded like a tornado. I've never experienced a tornado but it says, you know, people that have say it sounds like a freight train is coming into town. And I know it was a sound that not just the people in the room heard. They were all gathered, you know, huddled together in this upper room in this house hanging out. They're not sure what they're waiting for, but Jesus said we should come here and wait. So we're waiting, we're praying, and all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, boom, this loud noise comes and this wind is blowing and people are wondering what the heck is going on because it says that people from all over began to gather and question what was happening. The cool thing about Pentecost, and see, if you don't know what Pentecost is, it's a Jewish feast that's also known in the Old Testament as the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. 
okay? It was a week of weeks. It was 50 days. Penta means 50. It was 50 days after the Passover, all right? So we know that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples right before he was crucified. So 50 days later, they're in Jerusalem hanging out, waiting for this Holy Spirit that they're, you know, the Father is supposed to send, and it comes. And when it comes, it comes like with a big scene and people are wondering what the heck is going on because these people that are gathered there, all of a sudden these flames of fire appear over their heads and they begin speaking. They have the supernatural ability to start speaking in different languages. And the coolest thing about God's strategy for it happening during Pentecost was this. See, by Jewish law and tradition, Pentecost was a feast and a festival that required a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So Jesus said that you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And you've got Jews that are in Jerusalem from the ends of the earth that are there to observe this feast together. And they're listening as these people start declaring the works of God in their native language from the lands that they've traveled from to be a part of this celebration in Jerusalem. God is so strategic. And so some people just kind of laughed it off though and said, those guys are crazy. They must have had a weird party last night because they must all be drunk or something. And so Peter sees this confusion happening. A crowd is assembling, wondering what is going on. And so Peter gets up, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, and he preaches the very first sermon of the New Testament church. He goes, listen, listen, guys, you, this is not what you think it is. We're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What you see and what you hear happening was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament. In fact, everything that you've heard about and read about in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus who was here, all right? But you rejected him and he was crucified, but God raised him back to life on the third day. And if you want to believe and follow him, you can repent and be baptized, every one of you. And it says this in the next verse in Acts 2.41, after he preaches this sermon to tell everyone what they're witnessing and what is happening, he says this, those who accepted his message, everyone that, was, that accepted Peter's sermon was baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Talk about church growth. This is crazy. Can you imagine going from a, a church of about 120 people to over 3,000 overnight? You know, and because I'm a pastor and I just think this way, you know, I, I wonder, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that first staff meeting the very next day. Church leaders get together to like, guys, this is awesome. God's moving, but we've got some issues we need to address. We've got like 500 babies in our nursery. How are we going to handle this, right? That's just how I think. But the church grew 25 times its size overnight. And really, if you think about it, this really shouldn't have come as a surprise to the disciples. Should it have? I mean, because when God is involved, how many of you know things don't stay small? Amen? When God's involved, things do not stay small. But isn't this what Jesus had planned for the church all along? I mean, didn't he say to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, which means rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and not even the gates of hell shall be able to prevail against it. He said he was going to build a church, and then he just got done telling them, that he was going to send them to Jerusalem where it was going to grow into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has a plan for the church to grow. It's always been in his heart. Jesus made it very clear. But here's the deal. Okay, if the church 
is like a table. That's what we're talking about in this series. And you've got more and more people coming over for dinner. How do you make room for them all, right? Well, you've got to plan for it. You've got to kind of prepare yourself for it. That's really what Kelly and I did when we bought our dining room furniture, okay? Because she likes to entertain a lot. When we moved to Columbus four years ago, we sold a lot of our furniture so that we could fit everything in our house into the U-Haul. And so when we got there, we had to buy new furniture. And so as we're looking at what kind of table we wanted for our dining room, we wanted to keep in mind that she likes to entertain a lot. She likes to have people over for dinner. And so we wanted a table big enough that could seat a lot of people. But we didn't have a super huge house to fit a super huge table. And so we got this one, right? This is my table that I brought here this morning from my dining room. I mean, it's not too big, right? It's a decent looking table. It fits our family comfortably, you know, Kelly and I and our two boys. But when we have company coming over for dinner, we got a table that would be able to adjust to accommodate extra people. Because I don't know if you've ever seen these tables that do this magical thing, but you just do this. That's awesome, right? You slide it out. When you got company coming over for dinner, boom, just like that. And then you grab one of these things called a leaf. I don't know why they call it a leaf. It's not green and it doesn't grow on trees. But you put it in there, you slide it back, right? All of a sudden, you can fit more people. The cool thing about this table is it's got two leaves. And so we can go from seating six people to 10 to 12 people in a matter of minutes just by adding a couple leaves. And Jesus is saying, my church should always be growing. I always want you guys to be adding leaves to the table so that people can come and experience a great meal, right? But here's the thing that's weird about discussing church growth, right? It's very clear from Scripture that Jesus wants his church to grow, right? Because Jesus didn't just die for a few people, did he? He died for all. But when we talk about church growth, people start to get a little skittish. As churches grow, scrutiny increases, doesn't it? And I've never really understood this because we don't do this in any other area of life, do we? We don't get suspicious when our bank account grows. We're like, oh yeah, bring it on, show me the money. Or when a business gets started, right? Somebody starts a new business and it grows to like a million dollars in sales within the first year. You know, articles get written up in business journals as they celebrate the business plan that allowed this new business to, to flourish. And we say, hey, they must be doing something right. But when it comes to churches that are growing, there has long been this tension in people's minds that I'm not so sure that's, that's a good thing or I'm not so sure that's a God thing, right? I don't understand it. For the longest time, people have had this mentality in churches that I just want it to be us 40 and the good Lordy. Right? I just, I want to go to a church where everybody knows my name. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to be known, but the problem with being a part of a church that is only you 40 and the good Lordy and is never bringing new people in is that means you're probably not doing what Jesus told you to do, which is to go out into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come in so that his house would be full. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But why do we do that? You know, when I've heard all sorts of things when you start talking about churches that are growing, and maybe you've heard some of these too, and you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I've said some of these things before. Have you ever heard this before? Hey, if that church is growing, they must be watering down the truth. You ever heard that one? I've said that one before for many years. I grew up with this mindset, this 
self-righteous, pharisaical attitude that churches that were growing, they couldn't be preaching the whole truth. They had to be watering down the gospel. Or how about this one? Ah, they're just sheep stealing. They're just stealing people from the church down the street, right? They're not really growing from authentic conversions of actually reaching people. They're just stealing sheep. Or how about this one? This one's my favorite. Oh, that church is just all about the numbers. They're all about the numbers. They're not about people. The church shouldn't be about numbers. The church should be about people. You've ever heard that one before? Can I just say something? That's a bunch of crap. Because you're all about the numbers too. You watch the numbers in your bank account, right? You know why I know we should be about the numbers? Because God's about the numbers. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire the writers of Scripture to articulate that there were 3,000 people that were added to the number that day? God cares about the numbers because behind every number is a name. Behind every name is a story. Every story matters to God. Every number represents a life of a person that was made in his image with a divine plan and purpose for why he placed them on this earth. God cares about the numbers, and so should we. He does. It's always been God's plan for the church to grow. Because listen, anything that's healthy grows. Do you not see that in life? Anything that's healthy grows Think about your children when they were first born. You fed them, you nourished them, and they grew, right? If a child is malnourished and they don't get the, the food that they need, they don't grow the way they're supposed to. So anything that's healthy in life grows. And so as a church, I believe that if it's healthy, it will grow. And so as we talk about the church growing today, I want to look at who I believe should be seated around the table of the church as it grows. Because listen, if it's if a healthy church grows, what are the types of people that should be seated around the table? And today I want to present to you that I think there should be three different types of people seated around the table of the healthy church. And as I talk about each of these three different types, I simply want to ask you guys to consider which seat you're in. What seat are you sitting in around the table of this church? All right? The first seat around the table of a healthy church I believe, should be reserved, you might be surprised by this, for non-believers. For non-believers. These are people who haven't yet surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. They've not yet made a profession of faith. They've not made a decision to, to follow him. But I believe that a healthy church will be filled with a lot of non-believers. And I know this seems odd and strange to many of you who grew up believing that the church is for Christians. That's where Christians go. But I think the most important seat at the table should be reserved for those that don't believe. And you think, well, where do you get this crazy idea from, Pastor? Well, actually, I get it from Jesus. We see a story in Matthew chapter 9 of when he's walking along and he's kind of gathering a following and he's selecting his disciples and he comes across a guy named Matthew and we're in Matthew's gospel and so Matthew is actually recording the story of when Jesus asked him to follow him. And we see this in Matthew 9 verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And what you need to understand about tax collectors in Jesus' day is that they were the lowest of the low. They were considered scum of the earth. The Jews 
hated tax collectors. They were considered to be uh, traitors to the Jewish people because they worked for the Romans, who were a foreign occupying government. All right, so they worked for the Romans, taking money from their fellow countrymen, the taxes that were owed Rome. They would keep a little bit in their pocket for themselves while paying the rest to Rome. And so they were hated by the Jews. And Jesus rolls along and says, hey, Matthew, over there in your tax collector booth, come follow me. And then we see this, that while Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This is blowing the minds of people, the religious elite, the people that are church people. They're like, what is going on here? They're having church with Jesus. And you're thinking, well, they're not really having church. They're just sharing a meal together. Well, I happen to believe that wherever Jesus is, a church is happening, amen? Wherever Jesus shows up, that's church. I want to be where Jesus is. And he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so the religious elite, the Pharisees come along and they're just, their feathers are ruffled. They're, they're not sure what's going on here. And so they come to Jesus' disciples in verse 11. And they say, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is how Jesus responds. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If Jesus' primary mission was to seek and save the lost, the spiritually sick, the hungry, shouldn't it be that the church's primary mission would be to do the same? To set the table for the spiritually hungry, the lost, the sick, right? That's why Jesus came. He hung out with people that the religious establishment wouldn't even associate with. And yet our churches today look nothing like what Jesus did when he walked this earth. The church should be the kind of community that welcomes people who aren't sure what they believe. It should be a community where people can come and ask questions and feel safe to express their doubts. The reason, though, why I believe so many churches don't reach the lost, you would be astounded if I shared the statistics with you of the percentage of churches that see less than two salvations a year. The vast majority of churches in our country see less than two salvations a year. The reason I believe that statistic is true is because they're not setting the table for the non-believer. They don't do things with the intent and purpose of attracting and bringing a non-believer in. I spent years growing up in my childhood attending churches just like that. And I'm not dissing them because I grew a lot and I learned a lot about being a Christian, but it wasn't modeled for me to have church with the intent that you would save a seat for people that don't know Jesus. It was designed with those who were already in the club, those who already were convinced and believed the same things that I believed. And so on the off chance that you would have a non-believer come through the doors, it was weird to them. It didn't make any sense because I don't know if you've noticed this if you've been around the church a long time. But Christians can kind of do some weird things, can't they? We talk a little bit strange. We use verbiage and language that doesn't make sense to people who didn't grow up in the church. Washed in the blood. If I've never grown up in church, that sounds weird to me. Washed in the blood, what kind of a cult is this? It doesn't make sense. But I happen to believe, as I said, that this seat, the seat reserved for a non-believer, should be the most important seat in the house. Now I want our church 
to be designed with them in mind. I want everything we, we do here at Life Church to be done on purpose and for the purpose of reaching a non-believer. From our messages to our environments and the physical spaces, I want you to come and feel welcome regardless of what you believe or where you are on the spiritual spectrum. This church is for you. The non-believer should be the first person we think about before we do anything else in this church. We should always be inviting people to the table to experience Jesus. I want our church to be a place for people who aren't sure what they believe to come and simply listen. You don't have to believe in Jesus to enjoy yourself here or to even experience the benefit of being connected to a church like this. I believe if you just come and listen, your life is going to get better just by being around this. But I pray that one day, eventually, if you hang around long enough, you're going to recognize that this whole Jesus thing, there's something to it, and you're going to make a decision to follow him. Listen, if our church stops reaching people who need Jesus, it's because we've stopped preaching the gospel. And I, for one, as co-pastor of this church, refuse to let that happen. We are always going to have room at the table for people who've not yet made a decision to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives. And if that's you here today, if you were invited by somebody who attends here or you happen to just, you know, find us on our website or we're looking for a church to attend and you don't profess to, to follow Jesus, listen, this church is for you. You're welcome here. Regardless of what you believe, regardless of the doubts you have of the validity of the, of the Bible, you are welcome here. This can be a place where you can come you can just sit there and listen and take it in if you want as you wrestle with your doubts and questions. If you want to get involved, if you're the type of person that wants to roll up your sleeves and get involved, you're welcome to serve here on the weekends. You're welcome to get involved in outreach events that we do in the community. If you have a heart for you know, the broken or the down and out or meeting the practical needs of people that are less fortunate than you, that's what we want to be about as a church. And regardless of what you believe, you're welcome to come alongside of us and call this your church because we're going to have a seat for you at this table. But listen, understand that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. There's so many people when asked about what they believe about God or whether there's a heaven, you know, they say, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. You know, I think I'll go to heaven. Listen, Jesus never said if you go to church, you'll make it to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so I believe that if you hang around long enough, non-believer, you're welcome to hang around here as long as you want. But I, I hope and pray that eventually you're going to move from the seat of being a non-believer to the second seat represented at the table of a healthy church, which is that of a new believer. Because everywhere Jesus went, non-believers became new believers, Right? Non-believers became new believers. These are people that have made the decision, crossed that line of faith. The Bible says that they've crossed over from death to life. So be careful if you're a non-believer here today because if you hang around long enough and you listen to these messages long enough, I believe that you're going to become a new believer. Because listen, if, if we set the table right with the non-believer in mind, and we present the gospel in a way that makes it palatable, helps them understand what this message is about, 
we can't help but see non-believers make the decision to become new believers, amen? Which is why for the past five months alone, we've shared this statistic with you guys. We've celebrated this over the last few weeks. We've seen 28 people cross over from that chair to this chair in this church because we presented the gospel to them. We've got non-believers becoming new believers in this church. That is why we exist. That's why Jesus came, and that's what he sent us in the world to do, is to go and make disciples, to reach people. He said I, he would leave the 99 to go after the one, and that's what I want to do as a church. So we've got some, some new believers here. You might call them baby believers, right? The Bible says that those who place their faith in Jesus Christ become born again. And that term might be a little weird to some of you that haven't heard it before, or maybe you've heard it and it was used in a negative context, you know, like, oh, those born-again Christians, they're a little bit crazy. I don't know about those reborns, you know. But really all it means is that you were born once in the natural, right, to a mother and a family, and when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're born again to a spiritual family. That's all that that means. But baby believers messy. They're messy. Remember our parents when your babies were kids? How many of you, when your kids were babies, how many of you ever changed a blowout before? You know what I'm talking about, right? Those of you that don't have kids, you don't know what a blowout is, you'll learn. I'm talking about like when they go number two in their diapers and they blow out the top of their diaper and it comes all the way up their back and into their hair. I've gagged many times and almost thrown up on my newborn child as I'm trying to clean a blowout. All right, listen, parents, when that happens, you throw that outfit away. Don't even bother trying to clean it up, okay? You pitch it and you start over. You get a brand new outfit because babies are messy. And listen, baby, believers are messy too. They're immature. They don't really know yet how to follow Jesus that well. They might still cuss like a sailor, or maybe struggle with a lifestyle that they've been in for a long time. But that's okay because it's all part of the process. It's all part of the journey of following Jesus. But here's the problem, though. Some people, some religious people, they don't like it when their church starts to get messy. They don't like it when people that attend their church are making messes because it makes them uncomfortable and they don't know how to respond. Some of us who've been following Jesus a long time, who've grown up in church, I think maybe we've forgotten what it was like when we were first a new believer. And those sins and habits that we struggled with for 20 years before we met Jesus didn't fall off overnight. So I want to prepare us as a church that as we become more and more intentional about being a church that unchurched people want to attend because we're setting the table for them, we're reserving a seat for them, as we become more intentional about bringing those people to the table at our church, Things are going to get messy. We're going to have messy people with messy lives. And rather than gossiping about them and saying, you know, so-and-so are getting drunk on the weekends, and shaming them and trying to judge them and, and push them out, why don't we instead come alongside of them like a loving family does and help pick them up and brush them off and wash them off and help clean them up? Because that's what you do as a family. New believers are messy. So we're going to have people that struggle with addiction to drugs, to pornography, or maybe they're still sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Are we going to judge them? Or are we going to love them? 
I hope as a church, we'll love them. Because I want to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. See, because new believers, baby Christians, got to crawl before they can walk. Parents, do you remember when you were teaching your, your baby how to walk? Did they come out of the womb knowing how to run a marathon? No, they didn't. What did you do? You, you put your fingers out, and they put their little hands on your fingers as you kind of walked in front of them backwards, encouraging them to take some baby steps, and they would take a couple of steps and then fall, and then you would pick them back up, right? And they would hold your hands again, and you'd help them walk. They'd take a couple steps, and then they'd fall again. That's going to happen as baby believers learn how to follow Jesus. And so if you're here today as a new believer, somebody sitting in this seat, I want to encourage you on this new journey that you're on of following Jesus to take some baby steps. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. What are some of those baby steps? Well, maybe you simply just need to make it a priority to attend church on a regular basis. It says the average churchgoer in America today attends church once every three to four weeks. They're just not in the habit of prioritizing attending church on the weekend because they were never a part of it. And so they don't understand that, you know, this is important to my development as a follower of Jesus Christ. But this is where we're surrounded by other people who are following Jesus too, and we can get encouragement and we're fed the word of God to teach us what God's word has to say about how we should live. So make it a priority to just get into the rhythm of being in church on Sundays. Maybe a baby step for you would be to get baptized. That should be one of the first things you do after you make a decision to follow Jesus is to go public with your faith through baptism. It declares to the world that this is who I am. This is the decision I've made. It's our first step of obedience as followers of Jesus. We just had a baptismal service about a month ago, and we're going to provide the opportunity for you to get baptized again in the early spring, late winter next year. And so take a baby step to get baptized. It solidifies the decision that you've made, and you'll grow as a result. Another baby step would be to get involved in a small group. I know you've heard us talk about launching some small groups, you know, in January, in the early part of next year. But listen, you don't have to wait for us to launch a formal campaign of small groups. Ask a couple of friends to get together on a weekly or every other week basis to hang out, share a meal together because you just tell them, say, hey, look, I want to grow. I want to learn what it means to follow Jesus. I need your help. So will you help me? Can we get together? You need to prioritize community. You need to pursue authentic relationships with people that are going to help you grow. So take some baby steps. So we should have non-believers at the table of the church. We should also have new believers at the table of the church. But as new believers take baby steps for long enough, eventually and hopefully they will transition into the third chair that's represented around the table of a healthy church, which is that of a mature believer. We should have mature believers at the table of the church. Here's what's interesting, though. Here's what I've discovered over the years of being in many different kinds of churches is that as a church becomes more intentional about setting the table for non-believers, that church has a hard time attracting mature believers. And I recognize that we have many mature believers in this church. But a lot of times, mature believers fall into this, this mindset that they want to that they want to find a church that's going to meet their needs to go deep. 
you ever hear that before? I need to go deeper. I want, I want a preacher to give me the, the, the good stuff, the, the pure meat, the solid meat of God's word, right? I need to go deeper. I need, you know, my spiritual intellect to be challenged. They need a preacher that's going to do the true work of biblical hermeneutics during the week and preach from an expository liturgy that will help them develop a true Christological theology that will help them form their apologetically biblical worldview. I jest, but listen, I take seriously my charge as a pastor to feed and protect the sheep that God has entrusted to me, as does Pastor Craig. But I have no desire to stand up here and try to impress you with theological information that is only going to result in you coming back to the table to keep having me feed you. I have no desire to do that. I'm going to preach sound doctrine here. But I want to preach the gospel, which if you remember from week one, Paul said was to be of first importance in the church. And I want to preach it in a way that puts the timeless and universal truths of God's word on a shelf low enough for even the most spiritually illiterate person to be able to hear it and receive it and apply it to their lives so that their lives can be transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. I need to go deeper. I want to go deep. They think that, you know, hearing more theological information is going to help them go experience the deeper things of God. But it doesn't. You want to go deeper? Go to seminary. I mean, for real, there's so much information available to you out there. You're not limited to the the things that we preach from the stage here. You can listen to the greatest sermons from the greatest preachers and the greatest churches all across America in today's day and age. Podcasts, you could, you know, sign up to take some correspondence courses with the theological seminary if you want, if that's what, you know, you want to do. There's plenty of information available to you out there, but you want to know what I think a deep church is? I don't think a deep church is one that dives into the deep things of God so that people can attain some super spiritual status and you know appear more holy than, than people that don't know as much about the Bible. I think a deep church is one that wades out from the safe and shallow waters into the deep waters where people are drowning, where they're losing their lives where eternities are at stake. That's a deep church. I want to be a deep church that goes out there and rescues them, that throws out a lifeline, because that's why Jesus sent us into the world. You can grow up without growing mature. You can grow up in church and never really mature in Christ. How do I know that? Because of the biblical definition for maturity. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, right? This chair right here, a new believer, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who what? Say it with me. Who by constant use have what? Have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So many mature Christians today want someone else to continue feeding them. But the Bible describes spiritual maturity as people who have learned to feed themselves and through constant action, through constant use, through obedience, have grown in maturity. 
They've applied the things, they've heard the things that God has said in his word, and they've put it to use, and they're obeying the commands of Scripture. They've trained themselves. They've learned how to feed themselves. We have far too many Christians today that are spiritually fat rather than spiritually fit because we've sat at the table for so long, right? And we're just consuming all of the spiritual information that gets presented to us each week. And we sit and we sit and we sit and we get spiritually fat. But God has called us to put to constant use and train ourselves to become mature. Mature Christians are the ones who are walking in obedience. I thought the pastor was supposed to feed me. You've been a Christian for 30 years. I think it's time you start feeding yourself. What are spiritual mature Christians? I think mature Christians are the ones who are serving. We're the ones that are following in Jesus' footsteps who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And they use their gifts to serve others because they recognize that the church isn't about them. It's not for them. We've been given a mission to go and reach people. Mature believers are the ones who are giving. The church operates because we have mature believers here who honor God through their finances by giving back to the church. This church wouldn't exist without you. Mature believers are the ones who are leading by example, by faithfulness. They're leading small groups. They're leading outreaches into the city. They're showing others what it's like to follow Jesus. Listen, we need mature believers in this church. Even though we think about the non-believer and everything we plan and do, we also know that there is a great need for maturing believers to lead the way, to lead new believers as an example of what it looks like to live by faith. Because listen, spiritual babies can't take care of themselves. They need spiritual parents to come alongside of them and change them and burp them and, and clean them up. We need spiritual parents here. So I want to thank all of you here today that are spiritually mature believers because without you, this church would not happen. It happens because people like you are selfless servants, not selfish believers who are going to go find a church that's going to feed them and give them another spiritual stake to chew on as they think about their doctrine in Christianity. I'm not dissing doctrine. It's important. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. But believers who by constant use have trained themselves to lead the way and serve others. So to the mature believers, it's not said often enough. Thank you. Thank you. Because if we're going to reach non-believers and those non-believers become new believers, as I said, we're going to need some spiritual parents to come alongside of them and disciple them and love them and help clean them and show them the way. Say, hey, follow me. This is how I do it. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. That's what mature believers do. So my question to you today is this. For a church that's going to be healthy, and as I said, a healthy church grows, it must have all three types of believers at the table of the church. I think we've got a good share of mature believers. And as you've heard, we've got some people that are sitting in this chair too. But I want to grow more in seeing people that are non-believers attend our church and come to the table here. 
my question to you today is which one are you? Which one are you? Because I promise you, you have a next step to take regardless of what seat you're in. We all have a next step to take. We, regardless of where we're at on the spiritual spectrum, we never arrive at this spiritual nirvana of, of being the perfect, mature Christian. Until the day Jesus comes back or, you know, he takes us home. We're all on a journey and we're trying to become more and more like him. So what's your next step? Are you here today as a non-believer? Maybe your next step is just to purpose in your heart to come back next week. To immerse yourself in an environment with people that are going to love you and accept you right where you are, where you can hear truth presented in love and you can make a decision of whether or not you're going to follow this Jesus. Or maybe today's the day that you make that decision. Are you here today as a new believer? Maybe you're one of those 28 people over the last five months or so that have made the decision. What is your next step? Maybe you should take one of those baby steps that I encouraged you about earlier in the message. You know, get involved in a small group. Make it a priority to be here every week and get that pattern and that rhythm going in your life. But take a next step. Sign up to get baptized. Are you a mature believer here today? Maybe God is calling you to start a small group so that you can invite people into a smaller circle and experience accountability, belonging, and care. And you can help lead the way and show others what it looks like to follow Jesus. See, because we're going to keep setting the table for non-believers here. We're going to keep adding leaves to the table to make room for people that want to come and experience the best meal that there is to experience. I want to tell you what's going to happen, what I believe will happen as we do that. The next few verses in Acts chapter 2, after the one I read you earlier, say this. In Acts 2.41, after the 3,000 people were added to their numbers, when Peter preached that first sermon, he said this. It says this. They devoted themselves. Who's they? The 3,120 people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Okay, they went to church. They broke bread in their homes. Small groups. Isn't that interesting? And they ate together because that's what all good Christians do when they get together. They've got to eat, right? They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When a church is focused on the right things and has the right people seated at the table, it's going to grow. And I believe this church is going to grow because we've got the right people at the table. And we're going to be setting the table for people that need to know and experience that they're loved, that God has a plan for their life. They're going to come and know that we're prepared for them, and they're going to taste and see that God is so good. When a church is focused on the right things and has the right people at the table, it's going to grow. The early church grew by 3,000 in one day, and then the Lord continued adding to their number daily. And I believe that God's plan for our church is that we keep adding leaves to the table as we keep reaching people who are far from God. The table should always be expanding here at Life Church Buffalo.
And I hope you'll join me in praying and believing for the same thing. Amen. I believe the best is yet to come for our church. Amen. Let me pray for us all today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for laying out your strategy for us that has been preserved through the ages in Scripture to know that it's always been in your heart that the church should grow. God, forgive us if we've ever fallen into a mindset that believes the church has always been about us as Christians. Lord, I pray that you would help us to purpose in our hearts to be more intentional about finding ways that we can make room for non-believers at the table. Lord, I believe that your Holy Spirit is speaking to every heart here today and you're helping them identify what seat they're in at the table. So to the non-believers in the room, if there are any of you here that aren't yet sure about this whole Christianity thing, you've not crossed that line of faith, maybe today is the day, maybe you've sensed God's Spirit tugging on your heart, drawing you, saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to come into your heart and live inside of you. I want to give your life more meaning and purpose. If that's you here today, would you simply just lift your hand up so we can pray for you as a family and welcome you to the table at this church? Anybody here today that wants to place their faith in Jesus Christ? I believe that means we've got a church full of people that are either new believers or non-believers, either that or you're still searching and that's okay. You can sit back and listen as long as you want to. You're welcome.